Well, saints, if you would open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John chapter 6. We're going to conclude chapter 6 this week. Um, we finished it on, on Wednesday. We're going to just deal with this last portion here this morning. Next Wednesday, we're going to be starting in a chapter 7. But I love the discourse that Jesus has been doing. And he's been telling the, the people who had, you know, gone all the way around the, the Sea of Galilee to find him again. Because they'd eaten, 5,000 men plus women and children had eaten to the point where they were glutted, bread and fish. But what happened was the next day they were still hungry. And they wanted more bread, more fish. So they went around the, the, the lake, sought him again. And Jesus began to, to tell them, you know, why are you pursuing all this energy for that which is temporal, for that which really doesn't satisfy? So put your energy into that which is eternal. God is going to give you all the, 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 the temporary stuff, but pursue the things which are eternal with that same type of energy. He had a discourse with the religious leaders, and he was telling them, listen, you've, you've got to receive fully who I am. You've got to eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. You've got to recognize that my death, my atoning death, and it was a death that wasn't just going to be someone going to sleep. You understand he's talking about body and blood, his flesh. And you've got to accept that that brutal death was the atoning of our sins. It wasn't like Jesus just came to the world and went to sleep and died peacefully and in his sleep. No, he was crucified. He was slaughtered. He was sacrificed for our sins. That, that's huge, something that we need to ponder through and think through. And as he began to do so, the people left. And it was interesting. You had 5,000 men plus women and children. They followed a group of them, then they all left. And he goes to the 12, he turns to the 12 and he makes that statement. He says, do you also want to go away? He gives them a choice. You don't have to be here either. Do you also want to go away? And our text for this morning is found in, in John 6, 68, where Peter answers that question when Jesus says, do you also want to go away? Peter makes a statement Verse 68 and 69 of John 6, what Simon Peter answered and said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we've come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He makes a statement, Lord, to whom shall we go? Tell me, where do you want me to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And I think it's important to recognize that truth. As we've been going through the, the book of Proverbs in our readings here on Sunday morning, the scripture readings, a couple of things I just want to give to you just to ponder through because so often we come, we just simply read what we read and we kind of read it as words, but we don't read it as life. At the very beginning of Proverbs, when we started the, the, the book, amazingly that what Tim has done as he's bringing us through on Sunday morning at the first service is he's pointed out to the key of Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 where it says the fear of the Lord 
He, worshiping him, reverencing him, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's about God. It just is. And, and I love the heart of it. And there in, in, in chapter 2, where we read this morning, and we were doing the responsive reading, and I want to read to you again what it is that we've read, so hopefully it will kind of sink in what we're doing as we go through this book. In verses 7 through 9, it makes this statement, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Do you know who the he is? It's not me. It's not you. It's not the one who's proven. God, he is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and preserves the way of his saints. You understand who does the work? It's God who does the work. God has done, God has done, God has done all these things. Verse 9, then you will understand. You understand? With everything that God has done, then we can be illuminated. With everything God is doing, then you can come into this place of righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. That's the key to what it is that we understand we're called to be. Do you realize that when God had given the commandments to the nation of Israel, as he was about to lay down 10 incredible revelations of his heart, understanding of what our relationship with him is, the very first thing that he spoke, the very first things that he said is, you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 23. That's it. No other life source, no other thing that you're, you're looking to as far as direction and insight. It's me, me first. And I think that's the key when we recognize the, the, where Peter said, where are we going to go? Only you. Only you. You're the source. You have the words. That is what brings life. That is what brings peace. That is what brings hope. That is what brings joy. It's you, you first. God says, have no other gods. Just me, just me. Focus on me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things shall be added. And I love it when they went to Jesus and they started looking at all of the commandments. And amazingly, there in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, there was a portion where in Matthew 22, 34, a Pharisee heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, gathered together, and then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? What's the great one? What's the key? Jesus what? Love. That was it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, hinge all the law and the commandments. But it's about what? It's about loving God. Where else should we go? Only he has those words of eternal life. And it's important to recognize that what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to tell us trying to tell the disciples, you want the greatest thing in life? The greatest thing that you could ever have. The one thing that is going to give you the most peace, intimacy, 
a sweet intimacy in the relationship with your creator, with God. And that's only going to be found in what? Only going to be found through Christ. You can't have that intimacy. You can't have that, that sweet fellowship with God with knowledge. You just can't. You search the scriptures and thinking that you have life, but they are they which testify of me. They're going to draw you into this amazing relationship, intimacy with the Father. I think it's so important that Jesus has been dealing with this crowd and with his disciples, and he's giving them some hard truths. Remember verse 47? He said this, Most assuredly I say to you that he who believes in me has everlasting life. Only me. You believe in me, you have everlasting life. But what about me? What about this relationship? Verse 54, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You're going to have eternal life. You're going to have this right relationship, but it's going to be through me. But the me, it has to be what? Through my sacrifice, through my death, through my atoning death, then you can be right with God. And the problem was is this, they rejected these words. They rejected the words of Christ. And to be honest with you, when you reject the words of Christ, you do what? You reject Christ. You reject the truth. And amazingly is that, that when they rejected his words, they rejected him. And those who receive his words receive eternal life. It's about coming to the point that these are the keys to what life really is. Amazingly, that when we look to what's important in our life, I don't know if you've ever seen anyone on their deathbed when they were there and they were at the moment of just ready to go. Did they ever say, I wish I had more money in the bank account? <laughs> no. They say, I want my kids. I want family. I want friends. I want those close around me. Relationship. They want to make those things right. It could have been horrible their entire life, but at the very end, I want to make something right. And it's all about what? It's all about the relationship. And I think it's important that when it comes to that, it's all about a relationship with God as well. The issue is, is that if you do not go to Christ, where else are you going to go? Where are you going to go to get a right relationship with the Father? Are you going to go into the scriptures? Are you going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to learn as much as I can about, about what I'm going to do? Well, understand that what? In the scriptures, they point to Christ. In the volume of the book, it was written of him and what he did in the will of the Father. And I think it's important to, to recognize that this, if you were forced to leave your home today, just to force to leave your home, you, you could not go in your home. What would be one of the first questions you'd ask? Where am I going to stay? Where am I going to go? If I can't go in this place of, of security, this place where there's safety, this place where there's warmth or cool or whatever it is that you need this time of year, if you can't go into that place, then the question is, well, where am I going to go? I can't just stay out here in no man's land. Where am I going to go? 
If you were forced, forced to close your Bible, the one that you're holding in your lap, the one you're holding in your hands, close it, never open it, get rid of it. The question would be this, where would you go? If you couldn't go to this book, where would you go to find intimacy with God? I'll tell you what, as we were singing that it's just amazing how God has been anointing just the worship because every single word that we've been singing where people are pursuing this and searching out that and they're always looking and people are saying, listen, there's all kind of people who tell you, here's how to get right with God. But you know what? They're in error. Why? Because the scripture tells us the only way. And so people's views, people's idea, will do this, do that, do all these other things. And Jesus is just, you can't do anything. It's already done. You just have to believe in what I've done. And I, and I think it's important that if you can't use this word, where would you find an alternative? Honestly, where would you look to for, for hope, for peace? If it wasn't for Christ... And his atoning death, here's a question, how do you atone for your sin? How do you make it right? Amazingly, we've been having some interesting discussions on Wednesday night after the service, before the service. And some of the questions that have been is, is that there are people who know other people who are Jews. And they ask him this question. that The scriptures say, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Now that the temple's destroyed, how do you get right with God? How do you get right? And they go, prayer and meditation. Well, if you could do it prayer and meditation, why did you even need a temple in the first place? Why does God said, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission? So they're, they're trying to believe and do the best they can with the wisdom that's provided. But it isn't scripture. It isn't true. It isn't light. And so, so prayer, doing good works, it doesn't get you right with God. It can draw you close, but it doesn't make you right. There's only one thing that makes you right, the atoning death of Jesus Christ. I've been pondering this because in the news, nations are beginning to collapse economically, socially, Morally, look around you in the news. Our own country's in a recession. Our society and its morals are beginning this incredible downward spiral. We see the laws that we no longer follow, the, the laws that have been put in place. And it's interesting that we're trying to so often as Christians and just as people in general look to Anything that allows us to feel like we have some form of control, even a little control. Give me something that I can hold on to, something that I can say, I'm in control. Now, when trouble hits and when news like this comes, where do you go instead of prayer? Where do you go? Where do you turn? Do you turn to God in prayer? Do you cry out to him? Where do you turn instead of the word of God? And, and I find it interesting that, that, that we're, we're to this point where we're, we're constantly saying, Lord, I, I want to have some form of control. And he says, listen, there's only going to be one thing that you can control. I've got control of everything else. 
You may not like my eternal design, but know this. I have control of everything else. There's one thing that you can control. You coming to me through Christ and having peace. That's what you can control. And I think it's important that, that what we begin to see and what we begin to understand is as this, 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 this world spirals out of control, that we come now and we gather. We come and we gather in the only place where we can say, I have hope. I have peace. And understand that, that, that what happens is this. This is the only place where you are going to be reminded of what life really means. What life is really about. And it's not about this church. It's not about this sermon. Do you understand? It's about the one who's Lord of the church. It's about the one who's head of the church. It's about the one to whom every sermon points. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's always about Him. And, and I think it's so important that, that we recognize it's about our partaking of His flesh and blood. It's about coming to and receiving personally the work of Jesus Christ. And then it's looking forward to what? To the coming of Jesus Christ. Because we've been made right with God. See, the, the issue being is we really find no hope or peace until we come here and we begin to experience Christ. When we come here and we begin to worship and, and, and experience Christ, we discover there's no other hope. There isn't anything that's going to give me peace. Jesus is the source of life. He's the vine. We're the branches. He's, he's the one that, that when you partake of him, you'll never thirst. When you partake of him, you'll never hunger. And so what happens, we, we look at so often on the outside of the church, and on the surface of the world, what we see is this. There's an outward observance where so much of the world does not seem fair. I don't know if you've looked and seen, it almost seems like the wicked just have everything they want. The wicked, they, they don't get punished. Everything seems to be going their way. There is a portion of scripture in the Psalms, and I want to read it to you, found in Psalm 73. And in Psalm 73, I want to read to you verses 12 through 19, just so that you can sort of gravitate to what it is that, that so often you may be seeing or you may be feeling or you may be experiencing as you're looking out at the world and yet God is going to give you hope and peace, but the hope and peace is going to be directed here through his word. In verse 12 of Psalm 73, it says this, Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. Doesn't that just seem that the people that, that have no relationship with Christ, the people who are just pursuing wealth and everything else, it seems that they're always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely, verse 13, I have cleansed my heart in vain, and I've washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. We do the right things. 
They do the wrong things, and it seems like they're always winning and we're always losing. So why do we spend all this time doing the right things if we're only going to lose anyways? It's a good question. You look at the news and you're trying to, well, where, where can I find the power? Where are we going to get the victory? How do we have to vote to change things in our society? Think about this. Do you think that what is happening in our society is outside of God's eternal plan? Now understand, he had a will initially. That was Adam in the garden, everyone in fellowship with God. Then sin came in, and he, what, he allows men to go into the sin. Some he's going to whisper to all about life, about hope. Some are going to receive, but understand the majority... The road is wide, the gate is wide, the floodgates are open to those who are perishing, but narrow is the road and narrow is the gate to those who come into eternal life. There is the massive part of our population who has rejected God. They're still looking for, for peace, they're looking for hope, they're looking for all these things. And so amazingly, he says, boy, I just cleansed my heart in vain, I washed my hands in this, and in verse 14, he says, for all day long, I've been plagued and chastened. I'm always on the losing end. Verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, verse 16, it was too painful for me. I'm scratching my yarmulke and I'm thinking, how in the world, how in the world does this happen? God, do you understand what's going on? Do you see how the wicked are prospering? Those who are of your church, that we are being bullied. That when we stand on your truth, that what happens is this, people tell us that we are narrow-minded, that we are bigots, that we are the prejudiced ones, and yet we're just standing on your truth. We didn't declare these truths. You declared these truths. We're just standing on them. Now, granted, I do believe that there have been many in history, and there are some today, who speak these truths in hatred, in judgment. And there's others who speak it in love, in compassion, grieving in their hearts that these things are true in our culture. But he said this, when I thought about it, verse 16... How to understand it. it was too painful. And then verse 17 comes the key. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. Do you understand? Right now, they're living in what Scripture calls is a vapor. The life is a vapor. It's here, then it's gone. It's like, this, it's like grass. Here and gone. Withers. Like the flower. Here and gone. It withers. It's a vapor. It comes out of your mouth. You see it for a moment. Dissipates. He says, that's our life. And he says, I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. See, they only have this little bit of goodness for a moment, and then their eternity is one of separation from God. And I have this little bit of, of angst for a moment, and then I have eternity, peace, joy, love with God. 
And I think it's important to understand that. He says, when I went into the sanctuary of God, I understood their end. Surely you set them, verse 18, in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation at a moment, and they are utterly consumed with terrors. God does this. It's his goodness that leads man to repentance. If he blesses them here in this life, let them be blessed because that's all they're going to get that much blessing, that much where they think, oh, I'm pursuing. But even those that have all that that are pursuing, they're still empty inside and they know it. They're always looking for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I'll tell you what, if you don't have Christ, you too will be looking for the next thing. Where's my hope? Where's my peace? There's one thing that all of scripture knits us to, points us to. There's a passage. If you don't have this in your mind and in your heart, you need to do that. You need to not just put a note here on your paper, a note in your Bible. You need to put a note somewhere where this becomes a part of who you are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says, God is faithful. Great statement. God is faithful. Not, not, not we're faithful, but, but God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship. Do you understand? God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. He's given us fellowship with Jesus. Jesus has given fellowship with the Father. Do you understand what all the scripture is? When Paul is writing this passage, he's writing it to the church of Corinth that are all over the map. He said, there's one thing to focus on. Paul said, I've desired to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified because this is the fellowship. This is what anchors you in with God. It's not all these other things. You can have all these other things, but when you have all these other things and you don't have intimacy with God, you're still like something is still missing. Remember when we were going through the third chapter here of the Gospel of John, there was a man simply of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man, Nicodemus, he came to Jesus at night, and he goes to him, he says, listen, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, because no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. You have something that we don't, and we know that you are of God. No one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Now, keep in mind that Nicodemus he has all kinds of things. He has power. He has prestige. He has wealth. He has position. He has all these things. Now note, he's a Pharisee. He's there on the high ranks of religion. He's a, a, a ruler of the Jews, which means he's wealthy. He has completed everything that he needs to do. And, and he's there up in society. He has power and prestige and, and an ease of life. And he comes and he says, but you have something I don't. How do I get what you have? How do we get into this place that we no longer have to strive in all these other things? Now notice, Nicodemus had attained everything that the world wants. 
And yet he still comes to Christ and says, you have something I don't. I love this. This is key to what it is because Nicodemus knew that no matter what he had with everything that he still had, that something was still missing and that Jesus had it. He says, how do I do this? How do I get into a right relationship? And Jesus, listen, you got to be born again. You've got to have your spirit awakened to God. And that can only be done through what? Through receiving my finished work. And then I will give you the Holy Spirit. And then you will begin to understand what it is. It's important to recognize that, that Nicodemus, with everything that he had, he came to Jesus and said, you have something I don't. Do you know how it is that, that we need to change the world? Honestly, we need to just come to Christ. And we need to have intimacy with Christ and, and worship Christ. And when people look at their lives and realize the hole that's there in their lives, and they look at you and the fulfillment of the peace and the joy that you have because you know that you have eternal life. That's the key. Now, when you know that you have eternal life and they begin to see that work in you, all of a sudden they're going to say, how do I get what you have? I've been suing all, I want what you have. And when they have what you have, the more of our society that has Jesus Christ in their hearts, guess what? Our society is going to change. It's just going to change. And we're going to be the ones to be the instruments of that change. And it's going to be when people see that light that is in you, when they see the hope that is in you, when they see the peace that is in you. Remember there when we were in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John, there was a woman there at the well. And eventually, Jesus began to talk to her, and she goes back into town. And she tells all the people, they say, you need to come and see. There's a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And she says that in verse 29 of John 4. What begins to happen is this, is there in verse 30, they went out of the city and came to him. They didn't stay with her. <laughs> She said, oh, my life has been transformed. My understanding has been transformed. I have something that I didn't have before. And they're like, we want that too. There's only one place it's found. Go out to him. He's there. And they came out, and eventually what, what they would say is this, is that, that you know, initially we, we came because of what she said. But now, he says in verse 42, they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. We know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. We come to the words. Do you understand? His words. What he said. He had the words of eternal life. She pointed them to him like John. Behold the Lamb of God. And it's so important to, to, to see that what we recognize is they said, where else can we go? It's a great question that Peter asked here. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else shall we go? But here's the question for you. What happens when Jesus' eternal plan for society doesn't match up with yours? What happens when, when Jesus' eternal plan for the political system doesn't line up with yours? What happens when Jesus' eternal plan for your life doesn't line up with what you think it should be? Where do you go to find the changes? 
Where do you go to look for hope? Where do you go to look for peace? And to be honest with you, there's a lot of people that are going in a lot of directions saying, well, maybe I'll find hope if I can turn on the news and I can find the right channel that, that deals with my political persuasion or, or turn into you know, someone who says, no, I'm, I'm going to help you out with, you vote for me and I'm going to change the world. It's amazing. We always look for the outward changes. And, and to be honest with you, that what happens this do you not think that this is the Lord's plan? Do you think that God is up in heaven saying, whoa, how did that happen? Let's fix this. No, he knows it's a plan. He has it all going. And, and so, so keep in mind that, that when you're looking to try to find the changes in society, the changes in politics, God says, seek first the kingdom of God. A relationship with me, that's the key that you want to do. And so when we look to this, I think it's so important to come to this place. Just let people see your light. Let people see your hope. Let people see your peace. Because the, the biggest need and the question in life is this. No matter what people are pursuing, what people are gravitating for, it's this. Where do you go to receive forgiveness of sins and have eternal life. See, all these other things he'll provide. But where do you go to find forgiveness of sins? Where do you go to find eternal life? And this is the big question of life. And I think that when you recognize this, we've gone to Christ. We go to Christ. Well, here's the kick. The disciples have already come to Christ, correct? They've already come. They're following him. They've been through Cana. They've been through you know, Nicodemus. They've been through these things. And now what Jesus is doing, he's telling them, yes, you've already come to me. Will you choose to stay with me? This is why he says in verse 67, to those who had come to him already, do you also want to go away? Because keep in mind what happened. The, the 5,000 men plus women who he had fed, there's a portion of them that came to him again. They came, they followed, they went across the, the sea to say, I want to find you the next day. More stuff, more stuff. They came to him a second time. Then he gave them the hard truth. You've got to partake of me. You've got to receive me, my sacrifice. And they left. And so he goes to these 12 and he asks this question. He says, do you also want to go away? You came to me once. Are you going to stay with me or are you going to leave? And I think this is where we're, 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 we're almost forced to every day to say, where are you going to go? See, so you, want, you want hope and peace in the morning? Where, where do you go? Where do you go in the morning to find life? Where do you go in the morning to find hope, to find peace? And he alone has these words of eternal life. People are so concerned with the today. Jesus is concerned with your eternity. People are so concerned with, you know, the outward. Like here, they were concerned with Rome. How many people are concerned with the government, the outward, government outreach, government inreach, government, all this stuff? And they said, deal with Rome, deal with Rome. He said, no, I need to deal with your hearts. 
We're so worried about the outward. Jesus wants the inward. We're so worried about the today or the tomorrow or this year or the next year that Jesus is worried about our eternity. We're so worried about things on the outward to bring us peace. And he says, I want to give you an inward peace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They weren't worried about the furnace. They weren't worried about the fire. They weren't worried about abuses. They're like, put me where you need to. That's fine. I'm with Christ. Look at the fire. Didn't we throw three? Why do I see four? The fourth is like the Son of God. And so he literally has to say, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come on out. They weren't worried about, whoa, whoa, this is great. We're alive. Let's get out of here. No, they're like, dude, this is nice. You're here. Wherever you're here, this is where I want to be. And amazing that we begin to see this is that it's about the eternity. There's a passage. I want to just simply read it to you. You just jot it down. The book of Jude. It's only one chapter. I want to read to you three verses in the book of Jude. And it declares this. I want to read to you verse 21, verse 24, and verse 25. But in verse 21, it says this. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. It's a great way. Keep yourself in the love of God. See, the disciples had already come, and now we ask them again, do you also want to go? No, no, no. Keep yourself. Do you understand? Stay here. Keep yourself in the love of God. The very first commandment, love the Lord your God. Have no other gods before me. Focus on me. I am your life. I'm your peace. I'm your hope. I'm, I'm what you're going to be needing for eternity. And so it says, I just love the heart. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking to say, you're not going to deal with me according to my sins. You're going to deal with me according to your grace and your love and your power. And then he says in verse 24, verse 25, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Focus on him, worship him, key into who he is. I, I think it's amazing that, that here, this, this passage is not the, the, the choice of them coming to Christ. They've already done that. These disciples, now it, it, it's to the point of, are you going to remain with me? Are you going to remain with me? Because only in him is there everlasting life. Two passages just jot down for you note takers, both found in the Gospel of John. The, the first is found in John chapter 3, verse 15. And I simply want to read it to you. It says, whoever believes in him, Jesus is speaking, the Son of Man, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's the key. He says it's not practices, it's a person. It's not requirements, it's a relationship. You believe you have eternal life. In chapter 5, verse 39, same principle, it says this. And, and there in chapter 5, verse 39, he makes this declaration. You search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. It's not the practices, it's the person. It's not the requirements, it's the relationship. 
And it's so important that we are always looking for these practices. What should I do? And how do I do this? And he says, those things are secondary. I'll guide you into that. I'll lead you into that. I'm not going to leave you orphans. Know this, who I am and what I am and, and what I'm going to do. And I'm going to show you here my heart. But the, the key being is this. It is about where else do we go? There's words that talk about life, eternal life, peace with God. That's what we pursue. And this is what, what Peter recognizes. He says, where else we only you have the words of eternal life. And then he says this in verse 69. We've come to believe and know that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. I've come to understand that you are the source of life. You're the one that came down so we could have life. And I love the heart of it because they, Peter, he's already been through this and we've seen this. There's a testimony of who Christ is. There's been a testimony of the, the scriptures, the prophecies, everything that you know, God has said. And that's why Peter said, we have the more sure word of prophecy. All these things, we were there, we were witnesses, we heard the voice from heaven. That's amazing, but we have something even more sure, more powerful than the voice of God from heaven. And that's the word of God in the proclamations that there is going to be one. It is Christ. And so we begin to see here that he says, we have this testimony. And the testimony says this, you are the provision, only you. Only you. There's, there's no one else. Who else's death can provide forgiveness of sin? Who else's death can, can provide atonement? You think about this. How many people are searching all these other religions? And there's people who think, well, well my religion is just as good as your religion, isn't it? Well, I'm, I would ask them this question. Is your religion, the founder of that religion... Is he still alive? That sets Christianity apart. See, Jesus is alive. Jesus is still alive when he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he's there giving us access to God. And I think it's important to look to the provision. And, and, and then when you take a look at all these other world religions, they, they give you do's, they give you don'ts, they give you morals, they give you these things. And, and those are all good, but it doesn't give you forgiveness of sin. It tells you what your path should be, but it doesn't fix the path that was. Only through Jesus Christ is the path that was fixed to this new path that should be. And he fixes all the errors we do on the path that we're now on. But it's about coming to him first and then allowing him to lead us into all these other things about how to give him glory, how to worship him, how to acknowledge him. And, and I think it's so important that we look to where's the provision that God had offered? Scripture says what? It's in Jesus Christ. But once you receive this provision and understand that in that provision, God's counsel was what? You need to accept my provision. I set before you life and death. Choose life that you may live. He says, I want to guide you into what the proper counsel needs to be. God guides you into counsel. God leads you, as we talked about in Proverbs, he gives you the wisdom. But once you seek him, he provides all these things. 
He becomes the wisdom. He becomes the shield. He'll be, he becomes everything we want. Then we begin to walk under his power, his protection, his direction. And, and then the last thing is this, that when you accept the counsel of God and you accept the provision of God and you accept literally the testimony, the prophecy of God, then you have assurance, absolute assurance in what? That only this death makes me right. Only this person makes me right. And it makes me so right. Why? Because it was not the blood of bulls and goats. It was the blood of God that was shed. And he literally took every sin that I'd ever done, every sin that I'd ever, that I'm presently in, and every sin that I will ever do. The handwriting of the requirement that was against us, he's taken all the way, having nailed it to the cross. He's taking care of my sin. And now it leads me to what? Love God, worship God. And he's going to direct me into all these other things. But, but what happens is this. We have a tendency of always looking to say, how do I fix all these other things? You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added. It has to be the foundation of Jesus Christ and his work. And, and I love the fact that this is what Peter does. He says, you want to go? Where else? Where else can I go? And, and, and I think it's important for you and I to chew on this and, and really be open and honest with yourself and say, where else do we go? Where do I go for hope? Where do I go for peace? Where do I go for some kind of assurance, some kind of, of, of clue that maybe I'm in, in control a little bit? God says, you're in control nothing. I'll be in control. I'll keep you in my hands and no one's able to snatch you out of my hand. I will give you eternal life. I will give you joy. I will give you peace. I will be your shield. I will give you wisdom. I will give you all these things through my spirit and it will be yours. If I give you my son, how much more freely will I not give you all things that you need for life and godliness to draw you closer and closer back to me? And I think it's so important. He says, you're, you're the one. Where else are we going to go? It's, it's only you. And so it's just a great question that I want you to ponder and me to ponder, you know, this day on, on where do we go? Where do we go? And I'm here to tell you that, that God has given us the answer through Peter. It says, only you. Where shall we go? I, I can't leave your presence. I can't leave your proclamations. Where else am I going to go? Only your words our life. Only your words are life. Do you realize the scripture says this, that these words are living, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. This is the, the living word, and this is where we come to because it points us to what? A living relationship, intimacy with God. May that be our pursuit. Amen? Father, we are so grateful for who you are. We're grateful for this word. And Lord, as we see the, the spiraling down of our society, as we see it coming to collapses both economically, and there's fears of that, we see it collapsing morally, we see it collapsing in the political sense, and we're so grateful, Lord, that, that we are not citizens of this world. We're ambassadors of the kingdom. 
We have a kingdom, and that kingdom is run perfectly. That kingdom is run well. That kingdom speaks to us in our heart and what we should do. And we need to be in this world, but not of the world. And so we will, Father, come to you. We will come to where life is. We will come to where peace and joy and hope and confidence is because we come into the sanctuary and then we realize that today isn't the big issue. Eternity with you is the big issue. And that was settled there 2,000 years ago on a hill outside of Jerusalem called Golgotha where you, Jesus, would go and you would pay the price for our sins upon the cross. Thank you for doing that work. Thank you for knitting us in intimacy. And now continue to keep us close to you. Keep us close to that truth, to, to it's your work that has been done, your gift to us. And we want to walk with that gift and, and, and worship with that gift. So knit our hearts to you. Continue to keep us going to you in prayer, going to your word to find hope. And that can only be done through your spirit. But draw us to these words. Draw us to your heart through those things we ask in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, amen. amen.